Good morning once again to you and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I was gone last week. It's good to be back with you all again this morning. Many of you probably remember the commercials for the armed forces, I don't know, back in the 80s, 90s maybe, that used the phrase, be all you can be. How many of you remember those? A lot of hands going up. And I think that deep down, everybody really wants to be successful, to be the best that they can be. I really think most people really hunger and thirst after that. But sadly, many people never reach the full potential of being all that they can be. Because being all that we can be is really rooted in the fact that we are created by God and we are created for God. And unless we bring God into the equation, then our lives never add up to being all that they can be. We see this every day in the world around us. I can think back to, uh, to 9-11 and that terrorist attack in New York City. I can think of the recent uh, more unprovoked attack on Israel by Hamas that has led to so much unrest in the world. I could list many, many more examples of mankind not living up to all that we can be or all that we were created for. And a question that comes up for many people then is, is there any hope? Is there really any real possibility of reversing this mayhem in people's lives? Can this downward slide we are in ever be arrested and be turned around? Well, the good news of the gospel answers these questions with a very loud and resounding yes. And that is a large part of the message of Peter in these two letters that he wrote to the first century Christians. He's telling the people back then, and he's telling us as well, that yes, there is hope. Now we're still in 1 Peter chapter 1. I told you this is going to take a while. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for continuing the ministry of the Word last week while I was away. This week we're going to look at verses 13 through 16 of 1 Peter chapter 1. So I invite you to please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter and please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word. Again, I'll be reading verses 13 through 16 of 1 Peter 1 if you're following along in the Pew Bibles. It's found on page 857. <clears throat> Peter writes... Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Oh, Lord, these are your words that your Holy Spirit spoke to Peter, who then wrote them down, Lord, for the believers back then and for us today. As we look at them today, Lord, may you open up our hearts and minds to understand them, to be, um, that your Holy Spirit would then apply them, Lord, to our lives so we know how to live as we go out into this fallen world. And as always, Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. 
I think one of the most striking elements of 1 Peter centers around an understanding that is central for all the churches that they came out of the Reformation and then on to where we are today. And that idea is that the church is the priesthood of all believers. It's a foundational idea that all people are given a priestly role to live lives that are holy, that are sacrificial, that are set apart for God's use in the world. We are clearly to be separate from the world, and yet we live in these communities in the world, so we're part of them as well. Uh, we see this idea, I think, very clearly in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We looked at this verse a little bit in our, in our Sunday school this morning. It says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We'll also see the same understanding highlighted in our text for today. <clears throat> the heart of this is, is centered in an understanding that all people in the church are given a sacred calling to function in a priestly manner. Each one of us, like the Levites of Israel before us, are to serve the people around us in the name of the living God. And this is, I think, a, a hard reality for us in the church. It runs counter to our self-centered nature and focus. It says that instead of focusing on ourselves and our lives, that our focus should be turned toward Christ and then to our neighbor. And it shouldn't sound like a strange idea to us because it's a very biblical teaching, but while it may sound a little strange to some, it's rooted in one of the most profound statements of what it means to be a child of God. And I think you all know this very well. It's just the application part of it, the application part that we struggle with. The idea, the concept is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then out of that love, we love our neighbor as ourselves. The application of this is directly rooted in the understanding of God and his people, and then their relationship to the rest of the world. The focus is on serving in a priestly manner for the rest of humanity, to fill that Levitical role and be a blessing to the rest of the world. We see this idea expressed in terms of being salt and light in the world. Jesus taught that, right? A meal doesn't have to be salted all over it for it to be salted to taste, right? Sometimes, just and my wife's looking at me like, you put a lot of salt on, Bill. No. <laughs> I like a lot of salt. That's okay. But it doesn't need to be entirely covered in salt for it to be salted to taste. Sometimes just one or two shakes of the salt shaker is all that it needs. A room doesn't have to be completely filled up with lights for that room to be filled with light. Sometimes one or two lights is all that it takes to light up a room. We are called to be priests. We're called to be salt, light, blessings to the world, but not for ourselves. And this is where we often miss the mark. We think we are to be priests for the Christian community, for the church. But really, the whole of the Christian community is to function as priests for the unbelieving world. 
In verse 13, Peter tells us that because of the diligent and careful investigation of the prophets, there's action that we are then to engage in. Peter writes, therefore, prepare your minds for action. And we know that whenever we see this word, therefore, it's always saying that because of what came before it, right? Because of what has just been said, you are now to do this. And it doesn't matter if we're looking here in 1 Peter or if we're looking in Paul's letters, the same principle holds true. And I actually prefer the King James version of this verse. Let me read that to you. The King James says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your minds. And I think this is a little more faithful to the original Greek text. Without that girding up imagery, I think we miss the true meaning of the verse. And that is that our minds are always to be ready for action. We are to be prepared. This picture comes from the ancient world. And when they were ready for action, to run, to work, to fight, they would have their robe tied up around their waist so that it wouldn't be in the way and they wouldn't be encumbered by it. Get a picture in your minds of of a Roman soldier. If he was to be successful in battle, he couldn't have his robe or tunic right tangled around his legs. He needed his legs to be free so he could move about quickly. These are the kind of images that Jesus used and that Peter is now drawing on. We see the same image in one of the most important passages for the Jewish people. It comes in the passage that tells us about the first Passover. In Exodus 12, verse 11, we find these words, and I'm going to read them again in the King James Version. Exodus 12, 11 says, And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The NIV says that they're to eat it with their cloak tucked into their belt. But again, I like that imagery of their loins being girded. Why were their loins to be girded up? Well, they were going to be leaving soon, and they were going to be leaving in haste, and they needed to be ready when the time came. We too are to to be prepared for the action to which the Lord calls us, even at a moment's notice. And Peter really isn't focusing here on our clothing. No, He's focusing on the state of our minds and really the attitudes of our hearts. Our hearts and our minds are to be ready for action. Now, what does it mean to have our hearts and our minds prepared for action? Well, Peter says that, first of all, we're to be self-controlled. How many of you like that term, self-controlled? Not a whole lot of hands going up, right? Self-control, though, is one part of the fruit of the Spirit that's talked about in Galatians 5. And in this context, it means we are not to be dominated or controlled by the culture we live in, by our desires, by our passions, or even by our needs. Being self-controlled is a very important Christian teaching. We actually see it many times in the letters of the New Testament. For instance, just in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, It says this, but since we belong to the day before it was talking about the difference between believers and unbelievers, how how sin walks in darkness and how righteousness walks in light. And so, so Paul was writing and says, since we as believers belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. 
putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. We're not to be dominated by the trends of our culture. We're not to be swept away by emotions. We're not to be ruled by our appetites and our passions. But rather, we're to center our behavior in the teaching of Jesus that's found here in his holy word. Now, some people may ask, okay, then, that's good, but where does the Holy Spirit fit into all of this? Well, the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and teaches us as we spend time in God's word. And then this helps us to make good and right decisions, if we will listen to what the Spirit has to say. But we need to always remember that the Holy Spirit never forces our actions. We still have free will to choose to obey or not to obey. Now, some people will look at this and say, well, this obedience sounds a lot like works righteousness. But we don't work to earn our salvation. We work as a result of our salvation. We do the good works that the Lord has given us to do because of the grace that we have already received. But we also set our hope fully on the grace to be given us when Christ Jesus is revealed, as Peter tells us. You know, sometimes things just come together. I didn't know what Sue was going to play today for her prelude, but she played the song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. It, it, it goes right along with what we're talking about here today. So the Lord brings things together sometimes. As she was playing that, I was going, Thank you, Lord. That's just a really good, fitting song for today. But what are some of the things that the world sets its hope on? Stock market, right? The economy, the Super Bowl, the next election, education, people, jobs. There are a lot of different things that people in the world will set their hopes on. But for the Christian, these are not to be the things we pin our hopes on because they will not save us. They cannot save us. In fact, Jesus tells us, don't worry, saying what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear? He says the pagans, they run after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these other things will be given to you as well. Then he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anybody here can attest to that statement that each day has enough trouble of its own? Yeah. Our hope is to be centered in the ability and the character of God to do as he has promised. As our passage from last week taught us, that the prophets spoke of this grace to come, this grace that will be given to us, when Jesus is revealed. This is why God's people had hope back in the Old Testament. They had the promises of God that the Messiah was coming and they placed their hope in those promises from God's word. Our next verse is kind of a repeat of a previous theme, one that's central to the understanding of the New Testament, but again a theme that a lot of people don't really enjoy. It's the theme of obedience. Obedience to the will of God. And here it's expressed in the terms of no longer living the life that we knew before Christ or living in conformity to our culture. 
Peter says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, Peter here, he isn't really speaking down to his fellow believers, but he's drawing on another of the sayings of Jesus from Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 through 4. That passage says, Jesus called a little child and had him stand there among them. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, pointing to this child, Jesus says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. Peter here is reminding them of the beginning point, becoming like children, right? Having that faith of a child, children who are obedient to their parents. As children of God, we are to be obedient to his word. We're not to conform to the evil desires that used to dominate our lives. You'll find a similar thought expressed by Paul in Romans 12, verse 2. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As followers of Jesus, as children of God, we are to live by a different set of standards. We're not to be conformed to the culture that we live in, but we are to be conformed or obedient to the word of God and the will of God. Paul says we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we spend time in God's word. We are to have a different value system, a different understanding of what's important, of what is valuable. And these thoughts are not Peter's alone. We see them in Paul's teaching, and they also, all, really, all these teachings come from Jesus' teaching. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then he makes this statement, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here Jesus is telling us that these earthly things are not to be our goals, the things that we put our hope in, that we are not to conform to these things. Rather, we are to live in a different manner than the world around us. We are to live as obedient children of our Heavenly Father, not conformed to the values of the world, but living in accordance to the values of the kingdom of God. Now, some Christians will live their lives as if little is expected of us as believers. But friends, there's actually a lot expected of us as believers in Christ. Peter says we are expected to be holy, we're not to conform to our culture, but as Peter says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Just as the Father is holy, and he is the one who has called us, we are called to be holy as well. Now one way to understand this is with the thought of being set apart from the rest of the world for the purpose of, of doing the will of God. In the same way that the tabernacle and the temple 
were holy. They were set apart from the rest of the camp, the rest of the community, for the purpose of worship. So we too are to be set apart from the rest of the world to worship God and to do his will. It's clear that Peter is drawing on the notion that all of the followers of Jesus are uniquely qualified to be priests and to serve in a priestly ministry. But what does that mean to us in our day-to-day lives? Well, just as the priests functioned as intercessors for those who needed to make sacrifice, we also function as intercessors for those around us. And even if your neighbor never asks you to pray for them, you know what? You still can. You still can. You can pray for their salvation. You can pray for their health. You can pray over the, the problems that they may have shared with you. You can just pray for them to have their eyes opened by the Holy Spirit so they can hear and understand the message of the gospel. The end result is you can function in a priestly fashion for your neighbors. In the last part of this verse, we see Peter's instruction as to when we are to be holy. Peter says, so be holy in all that you do. He doesn't say we're just to be holy on Sunday morning when we gather for worship. There's no part of our lives that is not holy, that is not set apart for worshiping God and for doing the will of God. There's to be nothing about our lives that is not sanctified, or at least in the process of being sanctified. Every aspect of our behavior is to be focused on honoring God in what we do and bringing praise, honor, and glory to him. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 16? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and what? And give praise to your Father in heaven. Finally, this passage closes with the reason why our behavior should be holy. Peter says in verse 16, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And that is the Lord speaking. Be holy because I, the Lord God, am holy. Now, where is that written? Peter says, for it is written. Where is that written? We see it in a number of places in the Old Testament, but most powerfully, I think, in the book of Leviticus, in the context of the giving of the law. In Leviticus chapter 11, we studied this in our, in our Bible study this last year. In Leviticus 11, in chapter 19 and chapter 20, we see this exact same statement. That the people are to be obedient to the law of God and that they are to be holy because the Lord God is holy. Because God is holy, we too are called to be holy. It's not a difficult concept to understand, but it's a difficult one to carry out, isn't it? Because we cannot be holy in and of ourselves. But as children of God, there should be something about us that reflects our Father. There are many character traits of the Father that we could speak of that we should reflect in our lives, but the one that Peter focuses on here, the one that God has indicated here, is that as God is holy, we as his children are also to be holy. At its most basic level, the word holy refers to the condition of being set apart, being separated from others for for God's purposes. It's a word whose highest meaning is found in referring to God and objects that God has set apart for his own use and his own service. 
Now the term saints, we heard about this in our, in our Bible study this morning. The term saint sounds different, doesn't it? But did you know it actually comes from the same root word as holy? They both come out of the same root word. In biblical terms, a saint is a person whom God has set apart for himself. Saints are not just honored people of the past, right? We talk a lot about the saints of old. You heard that phrase? We talk a lot about that, okay? But saints include us, include real life, down-to-earth, common people who have been set apart as God's own special possession. Children of God through faith in Christ Jesus as ones who have received his grace. If you have received the grace of God, you are a saint. All who know Christ as Savior are called saints because God has called them his people, his spiritual children, and this makes us distinct from non-believers. And holiness is what God wants and expects from his saints. And as we said before, holiness is a reflection of God's character. And as our Father, he wants us, his children, to look like him. When we look to God, we get a right view of holiness. And friends, a right view of holiness leads to a right view of sin. The cost for us to be holy was the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for our sins. Our holiness comes about as a direct result of the finished work of Christ on the cross and then through his resurrection. And without faith in Christ's finished work, we are not saints and we don't have the holiness of Christ. The holiness of God is spoken about in many different passages in Scripture. But I chose our Scripture reading from this morning from Isaiah 6 because I really like the picture of God's holiness there and then Isaiah's reaction to it. In that passage, Isaiah had a vision. And in that vision, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on his throne, and the train of God's robe just filled the temple. And he saw those seraphs flying around the throne of God, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Do you remember how Isaiah reacted to this? He said, woe is me. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a, among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Just think about that scene for a minute. Put yourself in Isaiah's sandals. You see with your own eyes the, the holiness the wonder, the splendor of the Lord. And then you see yourself. And just like Isaiah, you know you can never measure up because of your sin. And so you cry out, just like Isaiah, woe is me. I'm ruined. But what did the Lord do for Isaiah? He sent one of the seraphs to go to the altar and he took a live coal from that altar. And he brought it to Isaiah and he touched Isaiah's mouth. And he told him that his guilt had been taken away and his sin had been atoned for. And then, 
Then Isaiah heard the voice of God ask a question. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And because of all, and because, I'm sorry, because he had been cleansed, because his guilt had been taken away, his sin had been atoned for, Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. See, Isaiah couldn't have said that until his guilt had been taken away and his sin had been atoned for. And in the same way, we cannot answer God and say, here am I, send me, until our guilt is taken away and our sin is atoned for. In the same way, we cannot stand in the presence of holy God or live holy lives ourselves until our guilt is taken away and our sin is atoned for. And yet Peter here tells us to do just that. To be holy because the Lord God is holy. Friends, we can't live holy lives on our own. There's nothing in us that, that would allow us to do that. But remember who Peter is writing to here. Going back to the beginning, he's writing to God's elect. Those who have been chosen by God for obedience to Jesus Christ because they have been sprinkled by his blood and cleansed. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can live a holy life through his power that lives within you because you have been forgiven of your sins and your guilt has been taken away. But we need to remember the promise for us when we do sin. And that is if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words... God is the one who makes us holy. Our holiness, our righteousness, is found through faith in the blood of Jesus shed on the cross and through his triumphant resurrection that gives us that living hope that Peter talked about earlier. So friends, as Peter tells us, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be yours when Jesus Christ is revealed. And don't let your lives be conformed to the ways of this world, the ways in which we used to live before we were granted faith in Christ. And then, because you've been forgiven, because your guilt has been taken away, be holy in all you do through the power of God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, you are holy. We sang that song, holy, 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 earlier. The same words (coughs) that we saw in Isaiah 6, the same words that are in that scene in Revelation around your throne. Your holiness is, is an awesome thing. It's a scary thing because we are not holy in and of ourselves. And the only way we can be holy is through faith in what you have accomplished for us. So thank you. Thank you for looking upon us, even in our sin, as Romans 5.8 tells us. And you sent your son Jesus to die for us. We didn't have to be cleansed earlier. We didn't have to do anything to qualify. You sent your son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And that through faith in him and the Holy Spirit living within us, we can now live holy lives but we can't do it on our own, Lord. So Holy Spirit, every day, as we get up, as we start the day, speak to us, convict us of our sin, 
Draw us close to you. Show us ways that you want to use us in this world as, as priests, to be intercessors for those around us, to, to show them the love of God so that they will be drawn to faith as well. Thank you for the hope that we have in you, the hope that Sue played, played about, the, the hope that, that we read in your passage, Lord. We live in a world that needs hope, so I thank you for the hope that we have and the hope that will be revealed when you come back for us one day. But thank you that we can live in hope today until that day comes. Oh, Lord, thank you. You are such an awesome God. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace, the forgiveness you give us. Help us, Lord, to live in that, that the world around us would see something different in us and would want to know what that is. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.